Unshaken is a discipleship podcast that exists to edify and encourage all believers in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the Apostle Paul writes, Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. By His divine power, Jesus has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So let's consider together how we might spur one another on towards love and good works. Join us as we talk about various topics, including the work of the ministry, the many joys and challenges of the Christian life, and the Holy Spirit whom Jesus promised would guide us into all truth. We continue today in Charles Spurgeon's book, Lectures to My Students, picking up in chapter 23 entitled, On Conversion as Our Aim. Well, last chapter in this book, chapter 23, not in the book, but the last chapter that we're going to share out of this book on conversion as our aim. And so there was a lot John and I had already for uh, gone over the book, this chapter, and just so much stuff in this chapter. So radio listening audience, be patient with us, and we'll do our very best to just highlight the most important aspects of this chapter. Yeah, we begin with this, Spurgeon writes, the grand object of the Christian ministry is the glory of God. Whether souls are converted or not, if Jesus Christ be faithfully preached, the minister has not labored in vain. This is our aim, right? Yep. To see hearts and lives changed, but most importantly, to, to be preaching Christ and Him crucified. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on as we mm-hmm. uh, make our way through this chapter. And then I, I, I wrote down on page 336 here, how do we glorify God? And in the next paragraph, he answers it quite well. He says, The glory of God being our chief object, we aim at it by seeking the edification of saints and the salvation of sinners. It is a noble work to instruct the people of God and to build them up in their most holy faith. We may by no means neglect this duty. To this end, we must give clear statements of gospel doctrine, of vital experience, and of Christian duty, and never shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. So that's what that's what it's all about, right? Is is the edification of saints and the salvation of sinners. Yes. We want for those who are already in the church, uh, the people of faith, we w- we want to build them up. Yes. We want to encourage them to to continue to press on for the glory of God and then for those who maybe are coming through our church doors who don't know God. Mm-hmm. We want to see them saved. Yeah, and you can only, you're only going to do that if you, as you shared, and as Charles Spurgeon shares, as Paul the Apostle shared, that I have not shunned or failed to declare to you the full counsel of God. Mm-hmm. And that's how you don't skip a beat. Um, you're going to hit every area and every aspect of the things that we face as whether you're saved or not, and you cover the whole spectrum from beginning to end. Unfortunately, you know, we don't see that today as much as we should because many are leaning toward having a worldview and trying to make things culturally rele- relevant through that instead of maintaining a biblical worldview. The Bible is, is, is our blueprint for life, and we can't uh, move away from that. He says, if any one note is dropped from the divine harmony of truth, the music may be sadly marred. And I thought that was really profound of what he shares there and, and you know, you're a musician, so you know that. That makes really good sense. If one one note is not where it's supposed to be, it's completely different. It changes the whole sound, the music, the, yeah, the lyric. Yeah. Or you take a chord out of the yes. progression. Mm-hmm. Now it, it becomes clear that something's missing. Something's missing, exactly. Yeah. And that that's why you know, I'm grateful for our church and mm-hmm. for uh, the way God is using us to be um, salt and light, to be the preachers of, of the word. And we do that. Um, by by teaching expositionally, yeah. right? Expository preaching yeah. versus the topical preaching, yeah. which I think is still good. It's yes. still a good thing, but we can't spend all of our time on topical studies. No, I, what I think is really a good format to do is if you're teaching inductive or expositorily through, a, let's say, a book of the Bible, whatever, my Galatians, Ephesians, you know, any of those, to in a chapter when you get done, maybe teach something topically on that chapter that's in 
in relation to what you just spoke expositionally through that chapter mm. gives a little bit more um, diversity to your study because that was something that Pastor Chuck did. That's something that you know we learned from that he didn't exclude topicals, but that wasn't the the real form, the, the real main thing of, of his teaching uh, on Sundays or when he brought it to the body of Christ. But he did the, he did do topical series to the congregation when he was going through an expository teaching from a book, yeah. which I think is very healthy and yeah. a good format and way to follow to, and to do. Right, but if all you if all you're doing is topical studies, then ten times out of ten, really, you're gonna not be preaching yeah. a whole council of God's You're going to miss something. You're going to miss something. And, and you can pick and choose that way when you, as like you said, when you're teaching inductively from cover to cover, you can't miss anything. No. It forces you not to. Mm-hmm. You know, you put in the position in place where you have to teach what you have to teach. Yeah. But if all you want to talk about is love and mm-hmm. encouragement yeah. and inspiring, you know, stories, mm-hmm. then you're not going to, you're not going to get to hit upon, yeah. you know, the wrath of God, the yeah. discipline and, and how, you know, God, he loves those whom he loves. He disciplines, mm-hmm. right? And and everything in between. So that that's that's definitely uh, something. Uh, to reinforce what you were saying, he says on top of 337, we must preach the whole truth that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Mm-hmm. This is straight out of 2 Timothy 3, yep. 16 yep. and 17, right? All scripture yep. is God-breathed, yep. inspired by God, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be, like he says, thoroughly furnished or thoroughly equipped, equipped for every good work. Yeah. And that's why you you take your people, your congregation, your body, from cover to cover. And that's why Paul also said in Ephesians, he gives some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists, some prophets. For what purpose? For the building up, for the edification of the body of Christ. So they can grow up. They can become spiritually mature. We're kind of like, I look at our responsibility in ministry, if we're going to speak specifically from what we do in the pulpit is pointing them in the right direction. The, the, the gift of their spiritual growth is going to be the time they spend in the word mm. on their own. Yeah. But we want to point them in the right direction. We can't force them to, but we can definitely put that passion and that appetite within the heart and their spirit to take it further than what we give to them, whether it's a Sunday, whether it's a Wednesday, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. They have to take it on their own and take it farther than what we give to them. But when you give them good teaching, what I like, you know, what I remember myself, when I would hear my pastor teach, it would just ignite a fire in me because I wanted to know more. Right. And when you hear good teaching, that's what it should, it should instill within you, that fire and the passion. Wow, I want to know more. And that's, I think, like you said, I'm grateful that we're in a really good Bible teaching ministry. And hopefully that's what we're doing through our ministry here, teaching from the pulpit is inspiring these others in the, the bodies to take it further after you know they listen to what we have to share and on their own they're going deeper with god yeah you know yeah. in discipline the next sentence down he says our great object of glorifying god is however to be mainly achieved by the winning of souls and this is exactly what pastor darrell always yeah. tells us you know yeah. in, in the ministry what what is our what is our main goal what is our mission it's to win souls so, and to make disciples to make disciples yep and you know spurgeon seems to agree here yeah, you know, the thing about winning souls, I like what Paul says, you know, some water, some plant, but God gives increase. Mm-hmm. And you never know, you know, that of a heart that's already been watered and ready, mm-hmm. and you come along and you just say something very spontaneous biblically, and that person is ready to give their lives to Christ. Um, we've, seen, we've seen it happen, or just planting the seeds, and maybe in that time that we're planting seeds, it's, it's not time for the seed within that person to come to fruition but I like what the Bible says, that God says, my word never comes back void. Yep. And so we always have to be in that place of maybe we're going to come along and water, and that person's going to give their hearts to Christ. I've experienced that. Mm. Just talking with somebody, sharing the simple gospel, they already heard it. God already prepared the heart. Now it was ready to be fertilized and come to fruition. I just mm. say one thing, and the person says, yeah, I want to give my life to Christ. And I'm like, huh? You know, Because it was like, came out of nowhere yeah and i've had that happen a, a few times you know in my christian experience wow. other times i've shared the full-on gospel and asked the person would like to give give your life to christ and they said well i'm not ready yet i take a little bit further but then i don't want to push so i leave it at that lord you know in your time bring that seed of of your word being planted let it come to fruition in your time 
So that's when we have to be sensitive to that as well, you know. Yeah. Not always somebody really will give good. their lives to Christ, um, which is fine. But I think if we're doing our part of, like Paul says, we're, we're planting. We're mm-hmm. doing that harvest of planting seeds, and God in his time knows when it's going to come to f- come to become, you know, fully um, to full growth. Yeah, and when yeah. we know that we're being obedient yeah. and that we're in his will, we're not going to leave that situation feeling discouraged or disappointed. Yeah. We're, we're going to leave it feeling hopeful yeah knowing exactly. the lord it's it, you know that individual is in your hands and it, it, it could be for someone else yep. to to come along and to reinforce well just like he yeah. says going down to the middle of page 337 in, in this chapter he says since conversion is a divine work we must take care that we depend entirely upon the spirit of god and look to him for power over men's minds and i think that's that's true you know the, the any work we do and i'm learning as a christian and in, in spiritual warfare and, and anything we do in ministry, that there has to be such a great dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Mm. Otherwise, then we try to bring in our own little innuendos from the natural perspective or the human perspective to trying to make something spiritual wor- spiritually work, and it doesn't happen. It's completely dependent upon the Spirit. So I know he talks about, and we're kind of getting ahead of, of this chapter, we talked about, man, the, the time you spend in your closet in prayer. And that really allows you to have this place of really dependent upon the Holy Spirit for anything that you do, for like yourself in worship. I mean, I mean, that's a daunting responsibility that you have from week to week seeking the Lord. God, what um, sansa do you want me to bring to the, the congregation? Because I'm sure for yourself, being a musician, being a worship leader, and having a talent with musical instruments, it wouldn't be that difficult for you to just pick songs and just play. You know what I'm saying? But the labor, like in teaching, is, Lord, what is it that you want to minister to the congregation this Sunday that's from you? You know what I mean? It's not as easy as I'm sure people think, but I know because I hear you in here. I, I'm in your <laughs> office, and I can hear you going through music, and I can hear you uh, contemplating what does God want to give you in your song set yeah. You know, from Sunday to Sunday. It's not an easy, it's not an easy task. Yeah. And that, that brings up a good point, too, about how we have to be dependent entirely upon the spirit because like he says with God on the throne, he's got to be first midst and end. And we are simply instruments in his hand. Nothing more. When we begin to think that we are something more than that. Yeah. And we try to accomplish things in and of ourselves and more times than not, things don't work out. We feel like we f- we fell short of the mm-hmm. goal, and this person that I'm ministering to, this unbeliever, didn't give his or her heart to Christ. Mm-hmm. They didn't receive Christ right then and there. Therefore, something must be wrong with me. I, I didn't give yeah. the gospel well mm-hmm. enough, and now it becomes performance based, yep. which is um, what I think a lot of Christians probably struggle with, especially early on in yeah. in their walk. Yeah. And that's uh, it is, and it's a, it's a common thing because you you, you want to feel like I'm I'm moving forward. I'm, I'm I'm seeing you know gains. I'm I'm seeing myself grow. But I think, like Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. And fruit is that's that's the job of the Spirit. He bears fruit within our life. Mm-hmm. And I like what's you know. So the question becomes like, how do you know when your life is becoming more dependent upon the Holy Spirit? And I like what he says right underneath that, since conversion. Uh, sentence he says for if we were more truly sensible of, of our need of the whole of the spirit of god should we not study more in dependence upon his teaching should we not pray more imp- importunately to be anointed with his sanc- sacred unction or power should we not in preaching give more s- scope for his operation and i think that's the sense you get when you know that your life and you're looking at yourself saying man i need to depend on the spirit for everything then you have this sense of urgency to pray more, to want to study more, um, to see more of yourself dependent upon the Holy Spirit when you teach the Word of God. And that's a fine line because I, you know, that's a struggle because even when I teach, I'm trying to determine, Lord, is this me or or is it you? Mm. You know, and, and it's and it is a fine line. But once you get going, and you're in that zone. When you're in, let's say specifically teaching from the pulpit, 
you know when it's the spirit of God that have is having his way. Yeah. You just yeah. you just know that. And you know when it's not. Because then that's when you want to say, Hey, I want to just wait to, I can't wait till this gets done. I need to get out of the pulpit. <laughs> and that happens when you don't put in time. Yeah. When you're not putting yeah. in the labor and the time and effort and preparation. Yeah. But yeah. I like what he says kind of in the middle of three thirty eight. He writes, Let such language as that of the fifty first Psalm be often explained. Show that God requires truth in the inward parts and that purging with sacrificial blood is absolutely needful. Aim at the heart. Probe the wound and touch the very quick of the soul. Spare not the sterner themes, for men must be wounded before they can be healed and slain before they can be made alive. No man will ever put on the robe of Christ's righteousness till he is stripped of his fig leaves, nor will he wash in the fount of mercy till he perceives his filthiness. And this is where I see a lot of churches today falling short. Mm. We're so quick to talk about the good news. Mm-hmm. You know, God's love, God's grace, and his kindness towards us, and his blessings, all the many blessings. Mm-hmm. But what what is the good news without the bad news? We need, we need the yeah. bad news to be preached as well, right? We need to understand our human condition before we can fully yeah. appreciate the good news of the gospel, Christ's redemption and yep. his his saving work is is, his atonement yep. on the cross or else you know that's just gonna you know sound sound good and all but not fully appreciated you know what i'm yeah. saying well we have to remind ourselves you know you know prior to conversion you know where we were at and when god intervened in our lives to bring us to faith in jesus christ and to know that he didn't have to do that but it lets us understand the depth of the love that he has for you and i that he would save a person like us. And when we think about those things, it brings a great sense of humility um, of the fact that, you know, God, though, in his desire and love for us, he has to break us of self. And nobody likes to be broken. But like C.S. Lewis said, before you can be blessed, God's got to break you. There's got to be a brokenness before blessing comes. And like you said, a lot of churches don't preach on that. They believe, oh, well, God wants to bless your life. But without you understanding what he needs to do unto you first to remove all the stuff so that the blessings have relevance to what he's doing for you and wants to lavish upon you. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the tragedy because you hear all these feel-good um, messages yeah, <laughs> like God expects you never to be sick or never to have a bad day, <laughs> uh, never to go through trials and troubles. Yet when you read the gospel and you read the Bible, you see that time and time again. It's full of hardship. It's, I mean, Job, for one. So how do you, how do you explain Job? Well, that, he was under the old covenant. Really? I mean, how do you explain what Christ went through? How do you explain the buffetings and beatings that Paul went through? All, those, all, all the apostles, the disciples, went through tragedy and trial and trauma to get to where God wanted them to be. I mean... Jesus himself said, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you too as well. And he laid it out. And, but yeah, that is so true. But when you think about, you know, what, what God did for you, it's, it's, it's amazing. Mm. And then an understanding that he doesn't have to give us anything, but he does. But there's a price to be paid. Yeah. And we have to, people need to recognize that it's, there's a price. To be a Christian, there's a price. Yeah. Uh, there's a great price and it costs Christ. God, his son's death. So if that's the price that God was willing to pay for us, then don't you think that we have a price to pay as well? We mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great price. And not just that, we take it a step further. We talk about the, about counting the cost of yep. following Christ. Oh, yes. He never promised life to be, you know, smooth sailing once no. we, once we receive him no. and, and we, we accept him as Lord and savior. It's, <laughs> there's a lot of, Trials and tribulations yeah. still to yes. come, and I believe they increase in intensity as we follow yeah. Christ. Well, yeah. Paul said it best in Second Timothy three twelve: "All those that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will Ooh. suffer." He didn't yeah. say may or might; he yeah. said will. You know, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think the closer you live to the heartbeat of God and His will, you will go through tough times. Right. That's okay. Right. Part of the territory. And Jesus would, would challenge the people of his day yep. to lose their lives, yep. to sell all yep. of their possessions. And yep. it's a it's a radical way of living that many today don't even consider. 
No, I mean, if you look, if you think about what Christ said, what it would take to follow him, that's, that's off the chart, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, lose your life for my sake. If you mm-hmm. want to find your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you're going to find him. Really? What does that mean? You know, the, the, it's, that, that's <laughs> it's like an upside down. Kingdom, that's an oxymoron that's, yeah. perspective today. But yet as a Christian, we understand what that totally means. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's really a wonderful life when you think about it. I'm going, I'm moving to page 340, John. Okay. Right in the middle where, and I like what he says, preach earnestly the love of God in Christ Jesus and magnify the abounding mercy of the Lord, but always preach it in connection with his justice. Do not extol the single attribute of love in the method too generally followed, but regard love in the high theological sense in which, like a golden circle, it holds within itself all the divine attributes. For God were not love if he were not just and did not have everything, hate everything unholy and skipping down says the true character of god is fitted to awe impress and humble the sinner be careful not to misrepresent your lord and i thought that was really um good counsel when we do share the gospel it's not just like you said preaching this feel-good message that it's all about just god's love but there's other things that connect to love to make gut love um pertinent to make it the way that god wants us to receive it because we can take God's love for granted and think, oh, there's nothing connected to that repentance, you know, moving away from um, sin, um, you know, living a double standard life, and that God will love us no matter what. And he will, but there's consequences to whatever actions or behaviors that you choose to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I like what he, what he's, when he says there that, that we should be careful not to misrepresent our Lord. And that's yeah. those are really strong words that Spurgeon says there. Yeah. It's important to understand his character, yep. who our God is. Yep. Oftentimes I hear people say, How can God be loving God? <laughs> yeah. But then a God of of, of justice and, and, and yeah. wrath and anger. Yep. Well, this is where I think it is hard for for us to comprehend mm-hmm. for the for the human mind, the finite to, to comprehend yep. the infinite. Uh, but yeah, God is, he's all in all. Yep. He's perfectly loving and he's perfectly just. Yep. And, you know, the way that works, <laughs> it, it's it's mysterious. Yeah, I mean, like God says, you know, in Deuteronomy 20, 29, you know, the secret things of God belong to God, but those things which he wants to make known to us, he does. Mm-hmm. And there's things about God we're never going to know until we get to the other side of heaven. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. But what we do know of God, we explain, we express to the best of our ability. But there's certain things about God we don't know. Yeah, you know, we we don't know because He's God. I mean, we have a finite mind trying to det- figure out an infinite God that's omniscient, you know, omnipresent, you know, omnipotent. How do you how do you explain that? Mm-hmm. All the mm-hmm. all these issues and areas of God we can't. But what we do know of God, we do our very best to bring it to light. Yeah. And like I said, God is a God of love. But then, like you said, tying in justice and tying in, you know, the, the God's um, goodness and mercy, but also that he's he's also been called a God of wrath. Mm-hmm. So how do you tie all that in? Yeah. You know, well, yeah. God, if he's such a loving God, then why does he send people to hell? Well, he doesn't send people to hell. Why is there a hell? Well, because the Bible says he created hell for Satan and all those that would follow him, his angels. But unfortunately, if you f- do not accept Christ your Lord and Savior, that's your ultimate end that you choose to go to yeah. but he's made the way of escape through his son christ amen how do you explain all that it's not easy yeah it's not yeah. easy you know it to takes ex- time it does yeah. de- it does definitely yeah. just quickly uh through 341 okay it says the best way to preach sinners to christ is to preach christ to sinners <laughs> right uh yeah. to appeal to understanding he says and for every persuasive argument that is being made it must be it must be with this living warmth of love you know as we uh, cater to the emotional persuasion aspect mm-hmm. of our audience it, it must be he says quickened into persuasion by the living warmth of yeah. love yeah i mean if you think about love and if you use, use that as the preeminence of what we should be known by and that is true um People should know us by our love. I mean, that's biblical. Um, the Bible says God is love. You know, beloved, let us love every uh, one another. For God is of love, and everyone loves, uh, knows yeah. God. Yeah. 
and he doesn't love, doesn't know God for God is love, which is so true. Um, but love has to be tempered with truth. That's what we have to make sure expressing um, the love of God, but it's always tempered with the, that connection of truth mm. because truth, um, love without truth, that's, you, it's just, you know, it's, it's hypocrisy, really. Yeah. And truth without love is brutality. You're cutting people's legs off. But when you have truth with love, people are more apt to receive what you have to say because they see that you're trying to reach them with this sensitivity of the spirit and they can perceive that that's coming from you. Just like the, when I talked to that lady yesterday about, you know, um, you know, word faith and whatnot, I was being very gentle. I didn't want to be abrasive because it can be very easy to get really aggressive about these people mm-hmm. because you, you get angry as, as to what they're doing yeah. and how they're taking advantage of innocent sheep that don't understand and you, you just know. want to slam them. Yeah. yeah, and and I and I do, but I I didn't I did I, but the lady was very genuine. She wanted to know, mm-hmm. so I was very sincere, try to be very gentle, very loving, but also very truthful, and she was very complimentary because those are things that she had no idea about, um, about these types of things that were going on by these people in the name of Jesus Christ, and so she was very, you know, very very complimentary, and she yeah. comes here. Oh, okay. Yeah, she comes here, and she but she had no idea. But she got a pamphlet, and she saw nothing in there about that side. Mm-hmm. So I explained it to her. So it was a good lesson for me on how to approach certain things. And this is a prime one of using um, the warmth of love. Yeah. And he goes on, bottom of 341, top of 342. A man known to be godly and devout and felt to be large-hearted and self-sacrificing has a power in his very person, and his advice and recommendation carry weight because of his character. Mm -hmm. But when he comes to plead and to persuade, even to tears, his influence is wonderful, and God the Holy Spirit yokes it into his service. Brethren, we must plead. What do you think about this idea of pleading with your congregation? It's it's a really humble posture in in my mind, right, that you you take on as a a shepherd of, of God's flock, is is pleading with them because you know our hearts are just so heavy mm-hmm. and we see the condition and the state that a lot of the the church might be in uh, and you know we we go through different seasons right different mm-hmm. struggles different challenges mm-hmm. but pleading with them when it comes to um, the important things the essential things mm-hmm. yeah i i think you know um again there's that fine line of when you're pleading because emotions mm. Or you're pleading because God has just crushed your heart and there's sincerity behind it. And I think the the body can sense that um, when you're pleading. Because I think when you plead with sincerity and because God is just, just like when Jesus looked upon Jerusalem and he wept mm. because he was moved with compassion. That to me is, is the, the congregation can sense that's a genuine there's something on your heart that you're really getting out to the congregation that has moved you. And sometimes to me, when you plead and you, you have this compassion for whatever it is that you're pleading with the congregation about or over, then it's not, it's not, um, you know, unnatural that you're going to be moved to tears. Mm. And I've been, I've done that before. Yeah. I've been moved to tears not because I want to cry in front of the congregation. I mean, who wants to cry in front of the congregation? That's, that's you know, that can be embarrassing mm-hmm. in some sense. But yeah. when, you're, when you're so moved with compassion over something that you are, God has just hit you with, and you're moved to tears, the congregation can know when you're genuine, and they know when you're sincere. And that gets into the deepest recesses of their spirit because you want them to, Whatever it is you plead about, you want them to, to receive it, and to take it to heart, and to be serious about what you're expressing to them, and that you're pleading with them over. You know what I mean? Yeah. And some people plead, and it's not sincere. There's no sincerity behind it because there's a motivation as to why they're pleading, other than like you were saying in the beginning of the book. Even when we're pleading, it's to glorify God. And if God isn't glorified in it, then it's all a show. You know what I mean? just yeah. completely a show but yeah i think i think um god will move you in some circles when you're in the pulpit and sometimes it happens and it's not even part of your sermon mm-hmm. it's just god moves your heart and 
and when that happens, you know it's it's from the Lord. Yeah. And he and he gives you the right things to share, and it's not emotional, but it's the fact it's compassion. There's a big difference between those two. And Christ showed compassion. You never heard Christ was emotional over the state of Jerusalem. He was moved with compassion because he saw the frontal end that was going to happen to them. And so when, we are, when we're moved like that, it's a good thing. I think it's, it's healthy for the body of Christ. Because one, it sees one, um, your genuineness as a shepherd. And they see how much you care for the flock of God. And um, you don't see that that often in the pulpit. You don't. Yeah. You, it's, it's it's very, it's, it's it's few and far in between, but I think it's it's healthy when they know that they hear you share something and you, you're just pleading with them, mm. but because they see that you, it's compassion on your heart for the condition of the congregation with what's going on. You know what I mean? Not that it, yeah, not that it's a bad thing to to plead with your congregation oh, often, no. but I'm I'm thinking I'm sitting here thinking if you're one of those pastors that doesn't do it often. Yeah. And then it, it one Sunday morning it, it just comes and um, you know how impactful that must be for the congregation oh, to is. see it from yeah. their pastor who doesn't normally plead in in that mm-hmm. sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, for myself with all of what we've been going through with my son's, you know, daughter, Ellie and my granddaughter, you know, just sharing when we got the news about the surgeon and sharing with um the Wednesday night crowd for prayer. Now, I was pleading for prayer for her because I was moved for her state, knowing she's nine months old and the doctor's saying that she's, you know, she's on the edge of a cliff that she can, we don't know which way she could go. So my heart was pleading with them, you know, to pray for her you know, really lift her up in prayer and putting her on as many prayer chains as I could and just getting out there because I wanted nothing but the best for her to, to recover, to get healthy. Mm-hmm. And now I see the results of the prayers. Um, uh, and I don't do that a lot, that often, but when it's family and it hits that close to home, man, you'll do whatever it takes to uh, assure that people know about the situation and to pray for her um, condition that God will heal her. Yeah. So, you know, those things are healthy because, you know, they, the, the, the people that you address, they know that there's a sincerity behind that you have compassion and concern, you know, for the state of well, somebody like that, which is my granddaughter. I wanted mm-hmm. nothing but the best for her. So there's not, but for the congregation, there's, you may go through something yourself, you know, and God will move your heart when one of these times you're in the pulpit preaching and it'll, it'll just come out. Yeah. And they'll yeah. see this, it came out of nowhere, but it's nothing planned. It's because, you know, you're going through something mm-hmm. or you sense something that you want to really express the congregation, the body of Christ. Right. And right. God moves you by the Holy Spirit to, to go ahead and address it, yeah. which is this is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. We jump down to the bottom of 343. He's talking about the content of sermons. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know your thoughts on this. He says, it may be very well as a rule to seek the edification of the saints in the morning discourse, but it would be wise to vary it and let the unconverted sometimes have the chief labor of your preparation and the best service of the day. So how often, especially, I guess, going back to when you were, you yourself were a senior pastor mm-hmm. in Kentucky, how often were you dedicating your sermons to the body of Christ versus, say, more more towards the, the unbeliever or, or the ones who are, are coming and have not, been shared the gospel you know mm-hmm. you know yeah. i think yeah, yeah. i'm pretty sure that's yeah. what he's what he's talking about yeah. here is to vary your message and uh, maybe oh what is the word i guess direct it more towards yeah. a specific audience um i never i didn't do that in the sense that you know most of the people that come to church are saved so i need to really feed them the word of god but i always had something in every message that had to do with an unbeliever. Yeah. Whether yeah. if I knew there were unbelievers there or not, I always had something in there for the unbeliever because I didn't know if everybody that came to church were truly walking with the Lord. Mm. So I would always have I would always have something prepared in my message that would address the unconverted. Yeah. Always. He does mention too in the next sentence, don't close a single sermon without undr- addressing the ungodly. Yeah. 
Um, so I think a lot of pastors, yeah. they do tend to save that to, to the end. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, he says, set yourself seasons for a determined and continuous assault upon them and proceed with all your soul to the conflict. I think, yeah. you know, also, too, in, in, in whatever your topic or like, if, you know, like myself, I don't teach every Sunday. So it's more like a topical uh, subject you pick on, you, you pick to teach on. But it, depending on the topic you pick will determine whether you're going to share something about the unconverted or unbeliever in the middle of your study as well as the end. And I've done that before. I've done both. I've been I've shared something about the unbeliever in the middle of my sermon, and then I reiterate it again at the end. I've done that before. In fact, I've done it a few times because it warranted that. It warranted me to be able to share both about the believer and then say, but if you're not saved this morning, then I need to share this with you from a different perspective, but from... But everything flowing in context, in context, you know what I mean? And then re- readdressing it again at the end of the study. Mm. So all depends on what I'm teaching on will determine whether I can say something about the unsafe in the middle of the study or even sometimes as we begin. Mm. Um, I've done that before, too. But now it's not the, whole, the study's not in, in reference to the unsaved, but I have the opportunity to be able to address it in the very beginning. If you're not saved this morning, I want you to remember this and I'll share that. And then move it, we move through the study, then, re, then reiterate it again. Remember what we said in the beginning? And then try to build on that. Yeah. I think a yeah. lot of it has to do with what, whatever you're teaching on, uh, your subject matter. Yeah. But I'm yeah. going to always share something about, about the unsaved, yeah. about bringing the, the, the opportunity for somebody to get saved, you know, uh, through the message. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. That's good. And on a more practical note, on the next page, uh, midway through, he says, we must love men to Jesus. Great hearts are the main qualifications for great preachers, and we must cultivate our affections to that end. Mm-hmm. This goes for a preacher or, you know, a- layperson, any, any, anyone any, in yeah. the church. We need to love people to Jesus. Yeah. And it's so easy to come to church and put on that face and to, to be loving and to yeah. have that facade up, and then you go about the rest of your week just... I don't know, angry, bitter, yeah. frustrated at whatever, whoever, and you know, people like you, like you said earlier, they'll know us by by the love yeah. that we we have. For you them. know, if you if you are to me, if you're if you're walking in the direction God wants you to walk, and you're allowing the Spirit of God to have His way with your life, not perfect. We all have our missteps, sure. you know, every day. We're not perfect people, but we're doing our very best to. to obedient to God and to move in the direction God wants us to go to abide in Him. Part of the, to me, part of the work of the Holy Spirit or a big part, big aspect of God's Holy work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to give us that unconditional love. I mean, Romans talks about that. God puts within our hearts the Holy Spirit so that He, he can transform us to have His love working through us. Um, but to me, when you, if you're, you know, being smiley, smiley, put on the Christian face on Sunday, but yet you're an idiot through the week and you, you, you have, you know, you, you don't have love mm. or you have a lot of animosity. Uh, I mean, I have to question, and I'm not God, but I got to really question, are you truly born again? Because I think people are truly born again. That's not going to be the, 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 uh, the way you live your life. Exceptions from every now and again, yes. But the rule of thumb, you, you're going to have God's love abiding in you. That's, to me, that's... That's what separates you from every other religion in the world. If you think about it, Jesus says they're going to know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You know what I mean? That's it. He didn't say if you can preach the greatest sermons or you can do miracles and wonders or you have an incredible prayer life because they're going to know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. What kind of love? Agape love. Mm -hmm. And so if you're truly born again, um, you're going to learn the value of loving when you don't feel like loving. Um, loving the unlovable, Christ said the best. What is it if you you love your those who love you? But He said, love your enemies, do good to those who spitefully use you or do wrong to you. That's to me that's just a real sign that God's got a hold of you. Um, and we all have our bad days. I mean, believe me, you want to you know take revenge, right? I don't get mad, I get even. You know that mentality. <laughs> but yeah. But I can say this, the older you get in Christ, like for myself being, you know, 41 plus years now going on 42, you, you just begin to realize what is important, you know, what mm-hmm. what is really relevant. 
um, you're still young and, you know, you got a, you got a long road ahead and you're learning and you're growing and you're wanting to, which is great. You're wanting to learn. You wanted to get to that place to where, like Christ, you know, he was never said anything that people said things against him. He, he was a man of few words, spoke when he needed to. That's what I want to get to, you know, sp- speak when I need to, not let people affect me. Um, I'm getting better at it. I used to be really, like you said, you know, want to really get back in somebody's face when, uh, when they would do something to me. Now it's like, what, what's the relevance of it for? Is it for me? And no, um, I just learned to pick and choose my battles more now as I've gotten older in the Lord, because I'm trying to figure out and determine what is really important. Mm. You know, for myself as a Christian, I want to lay up treasures in heaven. I don't want stuff that's that's wasted time and material. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's kind of like where I'm at in my walk with God is trying to be the best for God that I can be to the people that He has around me. And, you know, my family, my grandkids. And grandkids are great, uh, a testing ground for humility, um, love, patience, patience, all that. <laughs> yeah, all that. Yeah. And um, so, you know, that's, that, that's yeah, it's, it's something that we got to really man- maintain and, and hang on to. But like you said, the key, though, you said, this is not just for us in the, in the ministry. This is for everybody. Yeah, this is very yeah. Christian. That needs to be made clear. Yes, exactly. It's not just us. It's if you are Christian, understand the significance, importance of of having a loving spirit all the time, yeah. as much as you can. But for us, as as pastors specifically, I think people in the church are looking for for that love mm-hmm. from us outside of the pulpit. Sure, you know, off stage for me. Yeah, and and that's something that I have to. Ref- reflect upon from time to time Lord, yeah. how am i how am i loving your people yeah. uh, week to week that's what we talked about last week remember i said how important it is for us on staff here is to interact with the congregation yeah because yeah. for like for example for yourself as a, as a worship leader right and how important it is to you know for you to know the heartbeat of the congregation so you know what music would minister to them you have a vast variety of, of people in the congregation from the young to the old. Mm-hmm. And when you're able to interact with them and spend time talking with them, you never know. They may come up and the, you know, the baby boomers, say, Hey, Pastor John, would you mind playing something that, that would be more our era, maybe a song or two? You never know. Yeah. And because you're a young guy moving in that direction of more contemporary worship, which is nothing wrong with that, but we'll say, a, uh, a baby will come up and say, you know, I haven't heard this song played in a long time. Just thought I'd throw it out at you. What do you think? And you go, wow, you know, I never thought about that. But how you got that was because you took the time with the congregation. Mm-hmm. And now you're getting much more familiar with the heartbeat of the sheep, not just from one age group, but the, pers- the perspective from the young all the way to the old. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's healthy for you because guess what? Now when you go up there and you play a song that the baby boomers haven't heard in a long time, that person is going to say, wow, he really remembered. Mm-hmm. He remembered us. And mm-hmm. that means a, that goes a long way with a connection that you're making as a, a young a pastor on staff and with a very important ministry, the youth, the worship ministry. That goes a long way with people in the congregation when they say, wow, he really, he really took what I shared to heart and he's playing a song that mm-hmm. we can relate to. In our in our generation, and I really like that saying, right? They don't care how much you know until they know, know how, much you, how much you care. Exactly. And when they know how much that we care for them, yeah, they're gonna receive yep. what we have to to bring. And it's also um, from them, it shows that you respect them. Yeah, they show that that you respect the care, the concerns they have and and the thoughts they have. And like I said, you want respect, you have a give respect. And so when they see that, wow, he really respected what I had to say, it goes a long way with them. It, it, it's going to put you at a, a, another level with them as, a, as their worship leader and as just a person on staff in general. And that's why I think it's important, you know, when the, we can get it down and interact with them, they see that you care about them. Yeah. You know, not just your job, because ministry is not a job, it's a calling. But the calling is who? The congregation. It's a sheep. Without them, we don't have a job. Mm. You know what I'm saying? We don't. We don't have a job. Yeah. yeah so it's it's important. I like what he else also has to say at the bottom of 3:45. There is a something in the very tone of the man who has been with Jesus, which has more power to touch the heart than the most perfect oratory. Mm-hmm. Remember this and maintain an unbroken walk with God. Yeah. You really can. 
You know, you really you really can tell who's been walking with the yep. Lord all week yep. versus that other person who who hasn't, yep. who has neglected their time yep. spent with the Lord for whatever reason, and you know what that person whose face is just glowing, kind of yeah. like you know Moses when he came down yeah. from the mountain. It what they have to say mm-hmm. just packs way more of a punch. Yep. It's like. I'm sure you've gone out someplace and seen somebody that you don't even know, but you you know there's something different about that individual. Just their their continence, the character, the way they hold themselves, um, and your your thought is, what oh, if that person's a Christian? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure you said that. Yeah, you've seen people like yeah. that, and because they were just they 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 were different than the, the people around them, the crowd that was there. Like in a restaurant, I, I've seen that in a restaurant that. I'm like, wow, what did that person create? Just the way their mannerisms were with their family mm. and how they presented themselves. And so, yeah, it's important. I, like exactly like you said, yeah, it's very, very important that when you remain this unbroken walk with God, it, it's, it's going to show. I mean, it's like that old saying, don't tell me you're a Christian, show me. And the showing is by the way you live your life, how you conduct yourself. Mm-hmm. Um and the good practice is when you're not around anybody, you know, when you're in the confines uh, of your own home, when you're not around your brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a real good testing ground of developing that, that sense of really good godly character, um, you know, being that way as an individual, not around people, but then you're the real deal when you're around people, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah you're, you're genuine, yeah. and that's what God wants from our lives, is to be genuine. Yeah. And that's what the Apostle Paul was, and he even wrote in one of his oh. epistles, I can't remember which one, but about how he wasn't the greatest speaker. No. He was an ordinary man that God was using, and yep. filled with the Spirit, yep. and and that made what he had to say that much more effective. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he, what he was, you know, persecuting, putting Christians in prison and to death, and then to say uh, throughout in, in his ministry, uh, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah. That, I mean... <laughs> I wish I could say that. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. that's our goal. Mm-hmm. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I, I'm hopefully we're all getting closer to that. But for him to say that, it's not being pious or boastful. I mean, it's the fact that you look at his life and how he was so sold out to God, you know, and for the work of the kingdom. And uh, and sometimes I always think that he had this, he owed God something, not in a negative sense, or bad, but because of what he did to the church, yeah. what he did against the kingdom. We thought he was doing everything so right until God got a hold of him on his world to, on that trying road to make to, up for yep. for the lost uh, yeah I was gonna time, say make yeah. up for lost time, and for what that guy went through man shoots, you know <laughs> shipwrecked left for dead yeah. oh my gosh yeah. bitten by a viper and <laughs> shook it off and had enough faith to believe he's not gonna die <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's yeah. amazing you know yeah. it's incredible. So we'll wrap it up here. He's got a couple things for us on 347 mm-hmm. it says labor to gather a church alive for jesus every member energetic to the full and the whole in incessant activity for mm-hmm. the salvation of men this is something that i love to see is when uh, the head pastor or any any pastors on staff for that matter we we come together as a staff to motivate the gathered mm-hmm. church yeah to in to inspire and motivate them so that when we come together everybody is like he said, he uses the word energetic to the full, mm-hmm. and every member is is ready to um, engage in yep. in this work of of the ministry, whether that's on Sundays or a separate night of the week. We we want to we want to motivate, we want to inspire and equip God's people yep. for for the work for whatever He's calling them yep. to, and it's not always going to look the same for yep. for each person. We know that. Uh, and then um, just uh, the next paragraph over, he says, call in another brother every now and then to take the lead in evangelistic services. Uh, that'll be found very wise and useful. Fresh voices penetrate where the accustomed sound has lost effect. And they tend also to beget a deeper interest in those already attentive. That's kind of, you know, with, with me filling in and... Yep. And we had Austin teaching. Now yep. you're teaching on Sunday nights. Carl Kirby joining us this mm-hmm. Sunday to to guest speak. I think that's wonderful. It's good to give the body um, 
a biblical perspective, but from somebody else's angle. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's and it's refreshing because not all, not all of us teach the same. Not all of us have same voice inflections. Not all of us have the same mannerisms. But we have one thing in common that we're going to teach you the Word of God. And there's some going to be some much different insights that you've never heard. And it also gives a, a greater sense of appreciation for your senior pastor. Yeah. When he comes back. Yeah. You know what? Because he they appreciate the fact that he allowed other people to fill the pulpit while he was gone. But then there was the appreciation. Now he's back. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, mm-hmm. it's we get it from different different angles. Yeah. It's always good. It's a good thing. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're going to uh, move on from from lectures to my students to uh, I believe it'll be the shadow of the cross. Yeah. We'll start that in a couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. looking forward to what the Lord has, trying to keep it practical. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's all about discipleship, yep. you know, growing together as we pursue Christ. And yeah. we want we want to see him high and lifted up. Yeah. And that's that's the main thing. Yeah, And hopefully, like I said, down the road, you know, as we get more and more um, into different subjects we can talk about, it'll be um, beneficial to the radio listening audience. And hopefully they'll grow and be blessed by those things that, that God's using us to share with them about. And, um, yeah, just to see them grow in their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and like you said, and be, God be glorified uh, for giving us this opportunity to do this podcast. It's been yeah. a real blessing. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Well, I can pray for us. Okay. God, we thank you for uh, what you're doing and mm-hmm. for seeing us through this first full season of the podcast yes. with uh, the book that we've been able to go through mm-hmm. by, by Spurgeon. We're extremely blessed yes. and we kind of a privilege really to be here yes to Lord. serve you in, in this capacity to be used by you so god will you continue to fill us with your spirit mm-hmm. lord continue to make a way and uh, we want to be obedient and faithful yes, to wherever you're calling us and uh, lord continue to use this to mm-hmm. be a blessing to those who who listen mm-hmm. we pray that they would be encouraged and lord that you again would receive the highest praise yes because all the glory is yours you are mm-hmm. worthy and we we thank you for your salvation yes for the love that you have for us and the mercies that are new every morning yes thank you so we, we commit it all to you we thank you again for for how you continue to work lord you are present you mm-hmm. are here in our midst and let us never take that yes. for granted. So we pray all these things in yes. jesus name Amen. Amen.